19th, 2020. June 19th. Oh, today is a great day because today is Father's Day. So to all the fathers out there, Susie O here wishing all of you one of the greatest days of your life. Today is a day that we also honor Juneteenth and what went on today years and years ago. And so we honor that as well. And we honor one of KT's best friends, Annabel Capreros, who lives in Puerto Rico now. It is her 75th birthday today. So it seems like today is a really, really great day. Welcome everybody to the Women in Money podcast. And all of you smart enough to listen, well, I'm almost speechless. And I'm speechless because last week in the market, in the investment world, was a week that I don't think anybody expected on any level. What's so interesting right now about investing and trying to come up with the right answers and the right solutions and everything is nothing, absolutely nothing is normal. You can have a company that makes a lot of money and yet their stock still goes down. You can have oil itself going up, but oil stocks going down. You have a 0.75% raise by the feds on Wednesday of last week, something they haven't done forever, like in 40 years. And even though everybody feels like that's normal, it's not normal. And everything that is happening has a really serious ramification. So we're in a situation where we have incredibly high inflation, 8.6%. And what that means to all of you is that you're paying more for essentially everything. Your dollar doesn't go as far. So your dollar is actually shrinking in what it will buy for you. Now that on no level is good for the economy. The other person that it's not good for is the president of the United States. Because the only thing that President Biden right now is being judged on is the economy. And everybody, whether it's rightfully or wrongfully, are blaming him for the fact that we have such high inflation, for the fact that gas prices, oil prices are so high. Now, I can go on and talk about how everything else is high, but everything is contingent on oil. And right now, it seems as if oil has a target on its back. And the reason that is, is that this administration, again, rightfully or wrongfully, that's not the point here, wants the price of gasoline to come down. If the price of oil, henceforth gasoline, what you are paying at the pump, comes down, inflation starts to come down. Because if oil comes down, 
It's not as expensive to ship if you're shipping food and things like that in trucks. It's not as expensive to make certain types of things, maybe plastic, things like that. And so eventually the price of food will come down somewhat as well. There are other problems with food and food shortages, but that's not what they're thinking about right now. Right now, they are concentrated on oil, oil companies. So much so that they're inviting all of the energy companies to come and see them. They need to talk to them because they need oil to come down. Okay, so now what do all of you do if you're invested in oil companies, energy companies, natural gas companies? What do you do? Because now you are seeing some significant losses from the top of where many of these ETFs and stocks happen to be. XLE, down considerably. Chevron, down considerably. Pioneer, down considerably. Devon, down considerably. Diamondback, down considerably, and on and on. So what should you do? This is where it becomes very difficult for somebody like me because I like oil still. I get that it has a target on its back, but I'm still trying to be common sense here and going, we still have a supply shortage. We still have more demand. China still is essentially locked up. What happens when they come out and they start to travel again and drive again, there just isn't enough oil. So is oil going down right now because everybody wants it to go down? Is it possible oil is also going down because it is the only thing that went up at all? I mean, even though some of these companies are down right now considerably, they're still up like 30, 35% on the year. They're also paying an incredibly high dividend. And the lower they go, if you happen to buy again, the higher that dividend really is to you because you didn't pay as much to buy it. But is it possible that many people who have significant gains in oil here, are the energy stocks, are they also just saying, I am out of anything and everything. I've had it. I still made money. I'm still up. I'm selling. So is it possible that oil and oil companies were so affected because of those two things? Maybe yes, maybe no. I'm not exactly sure. And I don't know, but I have an inkling that that's what happened with them. So again, what do you do? And I was saying, that's why it makes it so hard for somebody like me, because I don't know where did you buy in? How much of a profit do you have? You know, what is your situation? Have you held it for at least a year? Because if you only bought it a little while ago, and you don't have a year as to where you have held it, if you sell it now at its gain, you're going to pay ordinary income tax on it. So are you better off holding it anyway then? Or have you held it for a year or longer and now you would only pay capital gains tax? Maybe it makes sense in your particular situation to sell. Maybe you need money. Maybe this is in your retirement account. Maybe I don't know all of your individual 
situations. So all I can do is tell you what I think. That does not mean that it's right. And that does not mean that it is meant for you in your situation. But the way that I have looked at all the things that I have recommended to you is I have said to you over and over again, the way that you invest is by dollar cost averaging. You do not just buy something and that's it. That is not how you do it. Even if all you have to invest is $50, period. You're not going to have more than $50 to invest. Then can you just take $5 every month and then buy slices and buy what you want to buy over a period of time? But don't put that $50 in all at one lump sum. Did I not tell you that? I most certainly have. So therefore, if you're in a situation where you have been dollar cost averaging and you started to dollar cost average maybe a month or two ago, and now a lot of these oil companies that you have bought are down considerably, okay, here you are maybe a month later now on days like this or whatever it may be buy an equal amount. Again, you dollar cost average, and hopefully your dollar cost averaging down, where things are getting cheaper, rather than dollar cost averaging up, where you bought in, and now the markets are going up, and every time you buy, it gets more expensive. In markets like that, you probably want to do lump sums, but that is not the type of market we are in. So this is just something I want to say to all of you, because I know you're confused what to do. XLE is an ETF that is like a basket of energy companies. And we started to talk, or I started to talk about XLE over two years ago, and many of you got in, most of you got in when it was about $35 a share. And now, you know, it's in the mid-70s. So you have a tremendous gain because after we started to buy it at 35, it went down and down into the 20s and it turned around. So you're doing fabulous. You're going to have to decide what do you want to do. Once it broke 77, it broke a major support level for itself. And all of you know, if you listen to the podcast, what a support level is. It's the support of a stock. And when a stock normally hits that level, it usually bounces off of it and goes higher if it goes through it. So XLE went through its $77 support level. That means it's breaking down. Is it possible it will go back up again? Is it probable? Uh Uh-huh. But you may just want to say, you know what, I am happy with what I have. I'm not quite understanding what's happening in these markets and why it's doing what it's doing. And maybe you sell, maybe you sell half. Or maybe you say to yourself, you know what, Susie, I don't actually care whether it goes up or down or whatever. I love the dividends it's paying me. 
I believe in it. I think oil's going to go back up. Maybe I'm going to keep it. So that's what you may be thinking. If you happen to buy it when it was in the high 80s or high or low 90s, just a little bit ago, or you bought anything else when it was a whole lot higher now, maybe 10, 15% even higher than where it is right now, you would be dollar cost averaging. And if you have time on your side, you have years or whatever, I have to say, I would watch it here and see what happens. And I would continue to dollar cost average into it. I am waiting once again to buy more of certain energy companies because I do think they possibly could go lower here because there is a target on their back. But I still love the dividends and the variable dividends that they are paying. I mean, if you know some of these companies continue down, Pioneer and whatever, and you buy them, pretty soon their dividend and everything will be almost 20% to you possibly. So it just depends how you want to view how you're going to make money. Do you make it on growth or do you make it on dividends? Do you do things like that? So that's how I feel about oil right now. Again, I still think that we don't have enough supply to meet the demand. But let's just see what strings somebody is pulling. And that will dictate a lot. In terms of real estate, real estate kind of has a target on its back too. Because you heard, if you listen to it, Jerome Powell, after he raised interest rates, 0.75% for the feds, Now, I'm summarizing what I heard him say. We need to get control over mortgage interest rate in terms of making it so that houses go down again, so that millennials have a chance to enter the market. So you could tell that he is very, very serious right now about cutting down inflation, about bringing up the unemployment rate making it really, really so that all of us stop spending money. So inflation comes down. So what does that do for real estate? Well, on one level, it shot the 30-year mortgage at one point up to over 6%, which I did not think we were going to see. I thought for sure it was going to remain around five, five and a half percent. But obviously, they don't think that's quite high enough. They think that all of you are going to continue to buy homes or real estate no matter what. So it can go up to six, six and a half percent, which benefits who? It benefits the financial institutions because they are the ones, the banks, the mortgage companies, they're the ones who are making the difference in what it costs them to borrow money versus what they lend it to you at, they're going to be making a whole lot of money. But then that becomes very confusing as well, because why aren't the bank stocks going up? So do you understand what I'm trying to say? Nothing is normal. Everything kind of feels like it's being manipulated on some level to get the result of inflation coming down. So what's going to happen with real estate? I think you're seeing a lot of the real estate companies, 
that are out there are the builders. Their stocks are at the lowest they've been in a while. You're seeing orders slow down and you're seeing applications slow down. However, I still don't think you're going to see a tremendous decrease at all. This is not like it was years ago where you bought a home for $700,000 and it went down to one seventy. I think if you bought a home for $700,000 in the past month or so, it's going to stay at $700,000 for the next year or so. Maybe it'll go up 5%. But as I've said in past podcasts, I do not think it's going to continue to go up 20%, 35%. For those of you that are selling your homes, real estate agents will tell you they don't have multiple buyers anymore in many areas. There are places where real estate agents have put the house on the market and one month later, they still don't have any offers. And they have said, if we had put the house on the market in April of this year, we would have had multiple over asking price offers. So sellers keep that in mind now. Buyers, it's starting to turn just a little bit where you do not have to go and say, I have to do something to buy a house if I just don't give in and do anything and everything that's needed, I'll never be able to buy a home. If you can afford it, you have a little bit more, I think, negotiating power at this time. I get that interest rates are at five and a half, six percent to buy a home. You know, I remember when I bought my first house in the mid-70s, somewhere in the 70s, I don't even remember the year anymore, but it was in California, and I had gone out to California in 1973 in a Ford Econoline van that my brother lent me $1,500 to buy, and my girlfriend and I and two other friends in 1973 headed out to find our fortunes and ended up in Berkeley, California. And I started to get interested in real estate at that age, believe it or not, 22 or 23, simply because my girlfriend's brother had just bought a home and his mortgage payment was $150 and our rent payment was $220. And I went, what is wrong with this? So somehow I ended up somewhere in the 70s there learning how to buy a home with no money down, taking the Lowry Nickerson seminars. But at that time, interest rates were like at 15 and 16% for that mortgage. But because real estate was so inexpensive still at that time, you know, the house was only $48,000. It was like, and when I say only, that's up from $17,000 a few years earlier because real estate started to go back then in Berkeley, California. I was still able to afford it big time because it was still less than our rent payment. And we took in other people that lived with us and it was fabulous. And I ended up selling that home, I believe for four or five, 600,000, something like that. Anyway, the point of why I'm telling you all this is that don't let higher interest rates scare you if what you want to do is buy a piece of real estate right now. 
and you know you can afford it, you know your job is stable, you'll have 20% to put down besides a one-year emergency fund, you're fully funding your retirement accounts, you're out of debt. Okay, go for it. Go for it. Because interest rates most likely will come down again, and you can refinance. Or even if you don't, it's okay. We have to stop thinking, oh my God, four, five, six percent, that is so high. When years ago, six percent was kind of the norm, and it was like, that's a great interest rate for a home. Remember, it's also tax deductible. So, real estate, I think you're essentially still okay in, in terms of the value. For those of you who bought it a long time ago, you're doing pretty great over these past year, two or three. It's what do you do now? So now if you're a buyer, think about what I just said a few seconds ago. And if you can get yourself a deal and you feel good about it, why not? And if you're a seller, maybe you shouldn't be quite as picky. Bitcoin. I've said many times as well that if Bitcoin broke its support of 27000 200, you would see it at 23,000, 22,000, totally possible that it could actually trade down to 18 and a half thousand if it breaks this $20,000 support level again. We'll see where it will go. Bitcoin, once again, dollar cost average into it, I said, with only money you can afford to lose. What's scaring me right now about Bitcoin is that I have many people who have told me that their friends are taking out large sums of money, even from places that were supposed to be secured to do other things with, to do what? Buy Bitcoin. Be very, very careful here. Who knows? Will it go up? Will it go down? I'm still holding on. I still like Ethereum. I'm still doing it for the long run. I am not putting any more money into it. I put a seriously small money into it for somebody like me, and we'll just see what happens. So again, be careful with that. Because Bitcoin proved not to be an inflation hedge, which everybody thought it was going to be, that was one of the reasons, by the way, in my opinion, that gold really wasn't able to do anything because everybody went, who cares about gold? We can do Bitcoin. We can make a whole lot more money. And Bitcoin is an inflation hedge. Well, that didn't prove out to be true, which is why I think it's possible that gold here could go again but you have to be careful because it's very possible, even probable, that at this point, it could go down a little bit more before maybe it turns around and goes back up. But this is called being diversified. You have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You have the majority of your money growing, hopefully tax-free in retirement accounts, deferred accounts, whatever it may be. You have your emergency funds in something like a Lion Credit Union. And there you go. Speaking about a Lion Credit Union, they are the sponsor of this podcast. 
and I couldn't be more proud if I tried for them to be the sponsor of this podcast. Currently, they are paying you 1% on the Ultimate Opportunity Savings Account. Every one of you, if you have not yet opened one up, you should go to myalliant.com and look for me. There's a reason why I'm telling you I want all of you to be doing this right now. Can you just do it? Put in $100 a month and you do that every single month for 12 consecutive months. They're going to give you $100 plus you made at least 1% on your money because if anything, they're going to be raising that 1%. So listen to the end of this podcast for the full disclosure of how the Ultimate Opportunity Savings Account works. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And speaking of Alliant, June 30th, mark your calendars at 2 p.m. East Coast time or adjust that for wherever you are. And I'm going to be doing a webinar with Alliant. So tune on in. And the way you do that is simply you can register for free at myalliant.com slash webinar. So come on and don't forget to be with me then. See, now I got off track there. I was talking to you about putting safe money here, whatever. I don't even remember what I was talking about. See how it is when you get into things? Whatever. All right. But regardless of what I was saying there, is that it's just diversified. You want to be diversified. Now, I want to talk for a second about financial advisors, because a lot of you are writing me really upset with your financial advisor. How could they have lost you so much money. No financial advisor lost you money. You and you alone decided to keep your money in the investments they were in. You did not instruct your advisor to sell or the money would be out of the markets. So you have nobody to blame really but yourself. And I never want any of you to think that you are victim to your circumstances because there's always something we can do. So advisors, as I mentioned a little bit ago as well in a podcast a day or two ago, or actually on Thursday, is that nothing is normal. This is where I started today in terms of what's happening in the economy. Nothing is making sense. So you can't blame your advisors because hopefully they are doing the best they can do, but there is no place to run. There is no place to hide. There is no place to have been able to say, yeah, let's get out. Let's pay taxes. Yeah, it's going to go down this far. Nobody knew that. So it could it go down further. Oh, you bet. You bet it can absolutely go down another 10 or 20% easily. You're the ones who are going to have to decide, though, what to do. So again, here's what I want to say about advisors. If you're unhappy with your advisor, what I want you to do is look at a normal Standard & Poor's 500 index fund or the total Vanguard stock market index fund, and they're down about 20 or 22% from their high. And that's pretty diversified. Those are investments that are diversified. If you're down more than 20 or 22% in your portfolio, 
when you told your advisors that you needed growth, you needed to be conservative, whatever it may be. So you did not instruct them to go for it, risk the money, you didn't care. But if you just told them what you needed and you wanted to be safe and sound, and you have lost more than 22% in your portfolios, then you don't have an advisor that really maybe heard what you wanted to do or is taking too much risk with you or doesn't have you diversified enough. So that may be an indication of an advisor that you should be upset with. None of you should be down 40 or 50% across the board in your portfolios. None of you. Mostly, you should be down 15%, maybe 20%, but 15, 17%, okay. Right now, believe it or not, that's kind of normal and that can be made up. But if you're in a portfolio where you are down 50, 60, 80%, you are not diversified. And if you have a financial advisor that allowed you to do that, I would think twice about that advisor. So that's just something I wanted to say to you. Also, one more thing before I go is that on last Thursday's podcast, I made a comment about a woman who had money in a 529 plan. KT obviously fell in love with this woman via the email and was like, Susie, you're so harsh, blah, blah, blah. I feel bad for her because essentially what I was saying you need to take your money out of a 529 plan within a year or two before your kid goes to school. I did not mean to infer that you take it out of the 529 plan into your own hands. I needed to be clearer where I said you absolutely take it out of the stock market within the 529 plan and you put it somewhere that's safe within the 529 plan. And then you withdraw it in the year that your kid is going to school, and it goes directly to qualified expenses from the 529 plan. So I hope that clears that up. I don't know, did today's podcast help you? I just kind of rambled that off. It actually wasn't what I was planning to do, but I did it. So I hope it helped on some level. The best thing I could tell all of you is to don't panic. These things happen if you have time on your side, you're in good quality exchange-traded funds or mutual funds, you are diversified. I'm telling you, another year or so, you may be thinking, why didn't I buy that? Why didn't I buy Ford at $11 a share? Why didn't I buy NVIDIA? Why didn't I buy certain stocks? You might be thinking that in a few years from now. After this market goes down, maybe to 3,500 on the S&P, 3,200 on the S&P. And if you don't know what that means, look up the Standard & Poor's 500 index. Look at the number. Because we have to start learning about support and resistant levels when it comes to certain numbers, like what the Standard & Poor's 500 Index is trading at. All right, until Thursday, 
Wait, so, what, 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 what are wait, you wait, doing wait, here? Wait, hi, everybody. Wait, let me put on my earphones. Wait for me. Okay, I'm ready. Susie, today's Father's Day. Yes, I we know. To I told everybody Col- that. No, no, no. We have to wish Colo a very special Father's Day. Why is it special? He's like our son, but he also is a daddy. He has three great kids, Christopher, Denisa, and Darley Jr., we have to wish. Come on, Susie. I but what? Oh wait, but Robert just popped in as well. Oh, hi, Robert. Look at him on the screen here. Hello, Susie and Katie. So handsome. What You're are you so doing, handsome. Robert? What Robert, are you doing happy here? Happy Daddy's Day to your dad as well. <laughs> well, Katie texted me and said that uh, at this very early hour we were going to wish Colo a happy Father's Day, and since I sort of feel like he's like a brother oh. to me. That's so sweet, Robert. I love that. So in case all of you don't know who Colo is, or somebody doesn't He's know it. He's part of our family. He lives here on the island with us, and we love him. But here's the great thing, Susie. He's big. It's Father's Day. And he... and we're And it's his day off. It's Sunday. So we have to secretly wish him Happy Papa's Day. So Robert, KT, <laughs> and me, what do we want to say? Happy Father's Father's Day, Day, Colo. There you go. All right, everybody. (laughs) So we wish all the fathers out there a great, great Father's Day today. Enjoy it. Have everyone wait on you, sir. All right, KT, let's sign off already. All right, sweethearts. So until Thursday, there's really only one thing that we really want for all of you. Robert, do you know what that is? We want you to be safe. Strong. Strong. And secure. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.